You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. There are those things that are just events in your life. They're just hard to forget. Do you have any of those things you just remember? I, I have those kinds of things, and some of them I can talk about and some of them I can't. Some, so let me share one that I can't talk about, okay? Uh, this was an event in my life that happened a while back. Uh, is that me? Yes. Yes. Yes, that is. That's my mother and me and my pretty wife and her mom and her dad in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a while back. Uh, and uh, after the service, we did this sort of thing a lot. We still do that a lot. It's just one of those events that just somehow doesn't go away. Uh, and you know, I think about this and you know, my pretty wife, that was, uh, well, we actually had an event just more recently we celebrated our 50th anniversary and were an item for two days at the Esther Lee Motel, which I highly recommend, yes. And I, yeah, still with my pretty wife. We went over because we didn't know how long the sign would be up and we wanted a little bit of light. It started raining on us as we went to the sign. I took the selfie anyway, which I'm not good at. And then on the way back, it hailed on us. So it was quite an event, quite an event. I think we'll remember that one for 50 years too. Events are like that. You know, they are. They're just powerful times and they shape everything. And of course, the event we're remembering tonight is a different event. It's the event we celebrate the, the cross of Jesus Christ. And we always do that in the context, even tonight, in remembering the resurrection, which frames the cross. But tonight we want to focus on the cross. So we'll look at Luke 23, starting at verse 26. I'm going to read it. Be up on the screen. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on the way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Skipping down to verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they, were cru- they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him say himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, If you're the king of Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, 
Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about noon and darkness had come over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people had gathered to witness the sight, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching all these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came in from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. He took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandments. This is God's word for our pondering. I think of the companions in this event. I think of a companion, Simon, who is seized and they made him carry the cross. Simon was enslaved along with the people following him, the women mourning and wailing, companions with him in this memorable moment. The people, the rulers, sneered at him. The soldiers mocked him. Quite a companionship. Rulers, soldiers mocking. And then the criminals hurling insults at him as they're crucified beside him there on Mount Calvary. Quite a set of companions for your last moments on earth. Quite a set of companions. I'm a huge fan of Handel's Messiah. I listened to the whole thing this afternoon, today, thinking through it. And this one song that comes in the crucifixion part, thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. And I look for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found no one. At noon, darkness. And I think of this darkness, of course it's hugely symbolic, hugely symbolic. You put it back and you're thinking there is God covering the crucifixion. In a way of trying, it seems to hide the shame of what's going on from public view. But the thing that makes me think about this as the sun goes dark is creation is mourning the loss of the creator. That memorable event. 
And I look at the symbolism that's there and I think back to Joel chapter 2 where it says the sun and moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? That darkness speaks to much more than just physical darkness. It speaks to the day of the Lord. It speaks to God's judgment on sin. And of course the focus of that judgment is Jesus. Exodus chapter 10, in the plagues in Egypt, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. It's so thick. And remember the symbolism of that ninth plague and the tenth plague would be the Passover, which of course is the season that we're celebrating with this cruel death. Amos 8, in that day declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And we see this darkness at noon. All this loaded symbolism that's brought back into this event as this man is crucified between two criminals. But it also reminds us here in Joel chapter 2, in remembering the day of the judgment on sin, the character of the God who is doing the judgment is return to the Lord your God for he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and relents from sending calamity. That's the character of our God. Even in judgment on sin, he is calling for return so that we can know his grace and mercy. Jesus has prayed in John's gospel, or in Luke's gospel, three times in this event, calling out Father. In the garden, he called out, Father, take this cup from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. On the cross, he called out, Father, forgive them. As he's being crucified, He's asking to forgive the very killers who are killing him. And now he cries a different cry. But again to Father, the God of all creation. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And here death is in full view. I think this is after three o'clock. And in that death as the people hear these powerful words it's like the light has come on a spotlight there on Mount Calvary and we ponder a bit we see here the upside down victory of Jesus this is a victory this is a victory as he's dying surrounded by mockers and scorners and wailing and insults Judgment on sin, and it is a, a victory. It's a victory because we see him forgiving his killers. Who does that? Who does that? He's dying there to bring us life because his death takes the penalty for our sin, the consequence that brings us the death is taken into himself so that we can experience his life. He refuses to save his life 
so that we can be saved. The soldiers, the rulers, the insulting criminals, all saying, if you're the Messiah, save us. And he doesn't. Because this hour is the hour of judgment on sin so that we can experience the forgiveness that comes out of that. There's a poem I just saw today as I was studying. It's written about a century ago, Edward Shalito. If we have never sought, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, only our only stars. We must have sight of thorn pricks on thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus of the scars. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thee alone. This enthronement on a cross is a victory, but it's an upside-down victory in the most unexpected way. The criminals confesses his sin and his need as he sang beside Jesus. I think of this criminal. If you saw the news, you saw this event that happened just a few days ago where a hardened criminal young man, an ISIS extremist, went into this grocery store in South France, Thebes, near Carcassonne. And you see the policeman trying to hear what to do. This man was inside with guns and a knife killing now think of that man. Think of that hardened terrorist with murderous intent. Can you imagine him saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about some nice guy who happens to get waylaid by mislaid justice. We're talking about a hardened criminal who is executed as a very final extremist kind of thing. Can you imagine him saying, Remember me when you come into your kingdom? That's the, that's the shock of what's happening. He was insulting Jesus just a few minutes before. In this particular story, there was a hero. Lieutenant Colonel Arnold Maltbrain. An Iraqi veteran, hero meddled for bravery as both a soldier and a police officer, exchanged himself for hostages inside the store so he could take a cell phone in so that his, he was the commander of the SWAT team. And he exchanged himself for one of the criminal, one of the hostages, walked inside that knowing good and well this man would kill him. And indeed he did. I did a bit of digging, it wasn't hard to find out. Lieutenant Colonel Arnold Beltrame is a deeply passionate follower of Jesus. That's why he does things like that, like our Lord did. Jesus' response to remember when you come into your kingdom is, today you will be with me in paradise. That promise of this hardened criminal who asked for forgiveness 
and he breathed his last. The centurion, the professional killer, he is a leader of the oppressing army. He is a Roman oppressive force. A professional killer praises God, confessing, surely this man is the son of God. So we get a moral outcast. We get an ethnic racist oppressor. In this town, there's Joseph, a member of the council, the ruling council. He is a man who is, goes to Pilate and asks for his body. Another man we see a response is Joseph Arimathea, a well-connected ruler, boldly asks for his body. We get a social outcast. We get a moral reprobate. We get a well-connected leader. The women went home and prepared spices. Socially powerless women follow obediently but hopelessly. You see what's happening? We get moral reprobates. We get oppressive racists. We get well-connected leaders. And we get socially powerless women all responding to Jesus. So I think of this, and I ponder this a lot. One of the criminals, aren't you Messiah, save yourself? What is he saying here? He is railing against God, angrily crying out, if you're the Messiah, and I don't think you are, then you need to save me from this punishment. For it's the center of his focus. This is the man who is saying, if you show me you're the Messiah by saving us, then I will follow you. Maybe. Where's the center of the focus? The other criminal, the other hardened terrorist, rebuked him. And the lesson here is he didn't follow the crowd. He wasn't mocking and sneering and insulting. He's rebuking his crucifixion mate. Don't you fear God? He does fear God, recognizing that he is the creator of the universe and the judge before whom we will all stand. We're getting what our deeds deserve. He recognizes his deserving. He recognizes his crucifixion is right and just, if incredibly painful and shaming. We are punished justly, he says. He's accepting that just punishment. This man has done nothing wrong, pointing to Jesus. He recognizes and confesses Jesus' righteousness. Remember, when you come into your kingdom, he's recognizing and confessing that Jesus is the king and the Messiah. He's come to that recognition because he's seen how he died on that cross, I believe. Jesus, remember me, he says. And he's asking for Jesus' help not to save him from death, but his help to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus responds as you'll be with me in paradise. He receives Jesus' help. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the kind of response, not the self-centered, you gotta save me right now, I deserve it. But the I totally deserve, I totally deserve. And what we see happening here is the righteous one is condemned so that guilty ones can be saved if we're willing to confess our need and receive his forgiveness. 
That's the gospel. That's the message of the cross. Here's this hardened criminal who recognizes, I deserve to be killed. I deserve to be crucified. I don't like it. Jesus, remember me. Now, I could see him saying, it'd be logical, he said, I deserve to die, so punish me. Or it'd be logical, he said, I don't deserve to die, so I should get off of here. What he's doing is say, I fully, completely deserve to die, and I believe you can save me with no merit of mind whatsoever. I just need your forgiveness, Jesus. And he gets it. Now, he will not get the chance to become a mature child of God. Because he's going to die in just a short while, hanging on that cross. But the thing that I think when I look at this is, when I remember this story, I remember that morality, criminals, racial identity, Roman soldiers, wealth and power, Joseph Arimathea, social status, women in a very male-dominated society, those things are all irrelevant. Those neither help nor hurt you. The only thing that counts is do you recognize your need, your brokenness, your sin, your shame, your dirtiness, and you come to Jesus and say, I believe that you're a Messiah. You can help me. Please help me. It doesn't matter how well off you are or how bad off you are. There is no sin, no shame, no dirtiness so great that the crucified Messiah can't handle it fully. Nothing. Worship team, why don't you come up here as I finish up and we have our time to respond. Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. When we accept his forgiveness, when we accept his cleansing, when we accept the removing of our shame, he brings the life of heaven to earth. God's future comes into our present. Now, to be sure, this criminal is going to go to be in heaven with Jesus. But see, for us, what this is saying is heaven comes to us. The very presence and power of God comes into our life. God's future comes into our presence now and forever. And the conclusion here, the heart of beat of this whole thing, is that because Jesus went through death, fully, completely into death, and broke free into life that we'll celebrate in on Sunday, we live with him. Always with him. We live with him for the rest of forever. With his life in us. I don't know where you're at today. Well, some of you I do, because some of you know well. Many of you I've never met. But the thing I can say beyond any shadow of any doubt is through the cross of Jesus Christ that there is no sin, no shame, no dirtiness, no brokenness that is beyond the power of his life that he gave so that we can experience that life. And our question is, will you receive that life today? Because we celebrate the crucified king. That is that marvelous truth that at cost of his life, Emmanuel, God with us, 
gave us the freedom from sin and death and disaster and demons. Those are still around. But we're a child of God. And you're right to clap. Yeah. Father, thank you that you have loved us so much that you would sacrifice your son with all the horrific agony that means. Jesus, thank you that you would go through the, the shame and the loss and the mocking, the insults, the agonies of the most cruel death ever to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Holy Spirit, invest our hearts with that kind of love that we will not only see ourselves as child of God but that we'll live in a way that takes that good news to a lonely, hurting, shamed, sin-marred world. As we have this time here, this period of peaceful pondering prayer, invest our hearts, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.